And the reason I love fitness and body recomposition, muscle gain, strength gain, is that you just can't, you just can't cheat the system. And I love that so much because everyone's so eager to, you know, find the shortest hack to do anything in life because we want to live efficient, comfortable lives. But fitness is defined by getting uncomfortable. Like you literally can't pursue a fitness goal without getting uncomfy or else you'll plateau in a day. My name is Leif Arneson. My brother Anders and I are on a mission to help 1 million vegans get into the best shape of their lives. We firmly believe that the more healthy and fit vegans there are in the world, the faster veganism will spread. Let's work together to inspire change, spread compassion, and challenge the status quo. Welcome to the Vegan Gym Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everyone? My name is Leif, and I'm joined by Coach Andrew today. So, Andrew, it's great to have you, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely, man. Let's do it. Sweet. So I love to jump in and get a little bit more of your backstory. I know that you had a conversation with Jake and you were on the podcast uh, a number of months ago. Uh, that was actually when Jake filled in for me when I had COVID during our last coach retreat. And now we're here at our spring retreats and yeah, looking forward to having this discussion. Uh, so could you talk through kind of your journey to where you're at now? a vegan health and fitness coach what was what's your fitness journey been like and what has the your vegan journey been like as well for sure i would love to talk about that so i think taking it all the way back to when i was a kid i think one thing i really want people to know is that i was not always super fit or super into fitness by any means in fact i definitely identified as the chubby kid uh, for the most part in elementary school and even through middle school for a lot of those years. And I have some pretty awkward photos on the wall at my mother's house of me kind of rocking the double chin and feeling a little uncomfortable in my skin. And I think I grew out of that a little bit like going through puberty, but for a lot of my life, I was the guy who was uncomfortable in his skin. I remember wearing shirts that were a little bit too big because I just didn't want, you know, the clothes pressing onto my body. And so there was a little bit of, I wouldn't say body shame because I don't think I ever felt that intensely about it, but I definitely didn't feel like the coolest guy on the block and I definitely wasn't the star jock. And so I would say I got into sports from a young age. So even though I was a bit chubbier, I was like the chubby guy who was doing all the sports. So I did play sports from a young age, pretty much everything, soccer, um, basketball track, did everything. I was fortunate to have a lot of opportunities, but it wasn't until high school that I really felt like I started getting a knack for fitness. I was exposed to, you know, like strength training for football and things like that, a brief time with wrestling and things like that. But I never was super into it. Like I see a lot of kids now being into it. Like I see a lot of high schoolers now who are like really into fitness and they have a lot of information like on YouTube and I wasn't that guy. I was just the guy stumbling through everything. So maybe fast forward to like high school sports. I was decent at a lot of stuff. Like I ran the 400 in track and I was a jumper and I was on the basketball team and stuff like that. So I think on the outside, I looked like maybe a jock, but I always had a little bit of imposter syndrome and I knew I had more to achieve. So to make a long story short, didn't get any offers for sports in college. So I went to college and basically just kind of stumbled my way around the weight room, lifting weights. And uh, I went through a swimming phase and a pull-up phase and it was very random and there was no method to the madness, but I was slowly getting more of a taste for 
fitness. And then it wasn't until after college when I graduated and gained like 35 pounds, which I spoke about on the last episode with Jake, that I realized that I really needed to dive into something that was more reliable from like an evidence-based perspective because I clearly just didn't know what I was doing. So that was kind of the genesis of diving into podcasts. I remember listening to the Revive Stronger podcast with Steve Hall and Pascal Floor and Dr. Mike Isriatel was featured a lot on that podcast. And as many people may know, and some may not, he's a really funny guy and he has a unique way of communicating fitness ideas. And I found myself getting attached to that. And at the time I was making like six hour drives to visit my fiance at the time. And so I would just kind of binge this bodybuilding content. And that was kind of when I realized that I wanted to kind of roll the dice on my fitness and my physique and kind of got into it. Uh, committed to studying for, you know, the NASM certifications, becoming a personal trainer, all of those things and kind of getting a few certifications. But long story short, it was something that happened in my late 20s. You know, I was kind of a late bloomer. I'm 32 now at the time of this recording. And it's really only been like five or six years that I really caught the bug for fitness. So what? Have, how did your vegan journey kind of intertwine into that fitness journey? Sure. So I still think of myself as a baby vegan because I think about a lot of other people on the team and they've been vegan for eight years or 10 years or even more in some cases. And I've only been vegan for a little less than two years. So I made the transition in May of 2021, I suppose it was in Jamaica on a vacation. And again, it was one of those times where I was listening to a lot of content. Um, but the beginning of it all was a friend at my work at the time, introducing me to Derek Simnet, who is a YouTuber and very fun and easy to watch. And he was vegan and he was into calisthenics and he had a great physique and he seemed healthy and he was flourishing. And I couldn't understand how the guy was doing it on plants because I had been kind of sipping the animal product Kool-Aid of the fitness, fitness industry for so long that it just didn't make any sense. And like my personality type is to kind of watch people from afar for a long time. So I watched all of his videos and I was like, how much protein is this guy eating? Like he's pretty big. And I just couldn't wrap my head around how he was doing it on plants. That led me to Brian Turner, Nehemiah Delgado, you know, some of the big guys in the space. And again, I would watch their YouTube channels and try to make sense of their lifestyle and figure out their training routine and figure out their diet. And it was also foreign to me because growing up in, I wouldn't say super rural Missouri, but you know, kind of an agriculture centric place in the United States. It's all about animal products. It's all about eggs. It's all about milk. And that was just my experience at the time. So those YouTubers led me to finding Simon Hill. He was doing the plant proof podcast at the time. Now it's been rebranded to the proof, fell in love with the content, learning all kinds of stuff about plant-based diets and how they can be healthy, but just couldn't figure out how to make the switch because I was so hung up on protein. Anyway, Simon uh, winds up uh, putting out a podcast episode with Gaz Oakley, who's a famous vegan chef. And Gaz actually references in part of his story that he watched a speech on YouTube by Gary Yarofsky, who's a famous animal rights activist. And he said that he knew before he watched the speech that he would have to go vegan after watching the speech, because I guess he had heard enough about it from friends to know that what it was about. And that was, there was like a level of, irony there to me because it was mysterious. You know, he was referencing the speech that he had watched and I was like, well, I feel like I should watch it. Cause one of my things about life in general is I don't want to be the guy who's living 
ignorantly in bliss. You know, if there's information that I don't know about, I want to interact with that information and then make a choice about how to live my life. And so I knew I had to watch the speech. I watched the speech and it was extremely compelling. I actually cried several times watching the speech because he showed footage of some upsetting things that happened in the fam or the, excuse me, the animal factory. Yeah. Animal agriculture industry, factory farming is what I meant to say. And, uh, I remember like thinking like, how am I going to tell my wife? Like we eat so many animal products. I was the guy who was, <laughs> I was like pounding 200 grams, 240 grams of animal protein on day pr on purpose, eggs, three or four Greek yogurts a day. It was, it was really gross. Like thinking back on it. And, uh, I guess to make a, a long story as, sh as short as possible at this point, that was what led me to being vegan. I didn't know how to do it, but I knew at that moment that, um, my love for animals was largely hypocritical up until that moment. And I knew I had to make a change. So it was pretty much, uh, it was a light switch at that point. So I'm curious, there are probably lots of people listening to this who are in a similar spot where they might be the vegan in their relationship and their partner probably already knows that they're vegan, but how did you approach that conversation with your wife, Alexa? And how did she respond to it? I felt like it was a really delicate issue because we have so many emotional attachments to the way we've chosen to eat food our entire lives. And so I knew it was going to be really important for me to deliver that well. And at the same time, I knew I had to do it quickly because she was going to snoop out the fact eventually that the yogurts were no longer disappearing from the fridge. So I remember we went on a walk one night around the neighborhood and I just told her really gently, I said, Hey, I, I've been interacting with some information lately about factory farming, about how animals are treated and some of our food systems and the environment and my health and all these things. And I just don't think that I can eat animal products anymore, but I don't want you to think that I'm trying to impose that on you, but I just feel this really strong sense that I can't participate in that lifestyle anymore. And it actually went really well because she responded immediately and I'm paraphrasing of course, but the best I can remember, she said something like, well, what do they do to the animals? You know, and I'll save that because I'm sure there are some people who don't want to interact with that right now on this podcast. But in short, I told her about some of the things and she's like, well, I know that I could never watch that. Um, I don't think my wife would mind sharing this, but she, uh, she likes to keep our movie choices to comedies and things that are lighthearted and we don't take things down the, the crime path or the horror movies and all that. So it wasn't something that would probably be good for her. And she said, I know that I can't watch it. So I feel like in order to avoid being a hypocrite, I'm just going to stop consuming these products as well. And I'll do this with you. And it was awesome. It was like this really cool moment where we shared so that. Cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And at the beginning we were, we were like, it's so funny because when you first go vegan, you think you're being so extreme, you know, you're like jumping into this massive endeavor. And I suppose it is in some sense, but we were like, okay, well, we'll, we'll not waste the food, right? Like we'll, we'll eat the rest of our animal products and then we'll, uh, we'll make this transition or we'll try or we'll do whatever. Cause we were clueless. <laughs> and I remember we went back to the house and my normal routine at the time would have been to have two Greek yogurts before bed you know, got to, got to stimulate that muscle protein synthesis right before bed, dairy proteins for the win, apparently. And I just looked at the yogurts and I was like, I can't do it. Like I can't eat the yogurt. It was this mental block and we wound up giving away or even throwing away, unfortunately, in some sense, a lot of our protein, uh, in our animal products, even like tubs of protein that we had bought from Legion athletics, just 
gave them away to people who would use them for better or worse. So that was that was our vegan transition in a nutshell. And yeah, that's here really we are. cool. That's that's awesome that you have such a supportive partner who's willing to have an open mind and and entertain a a new way of living. So that's really cool. What would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned throughout your fitness journey? I think one of the biggest lessons for me was that training quality really trumps everything else. If you have a specific goal in mind when it comes to fitness, because I wasted a lot of time trying to perfect my diet, even as an omnivore and as a vegan, when I realized that I just needed to train more intelligently. I don't want to say harder because I think that can be a slippery slope, but I needed to have a more calculated approach to my training. And I guess maybe to elaborate a little bit, I'd be like eating perfectly distributed macros every three and a half hours. I would set timers on my phone (laughs) and then I wouldn't say I was ever dogging it in the gym, but I wasn't bringing any level of specificity to my training program in that sense. So that's one thing. I think another thing is that achieving a muscular physique just takes way longer than most people want to think. So unless you feel like you already have as much muscle mass as you'll ever want and you can just pursue kind of a, we'll call it like a fat loss and muscle retention endeavor, then I guess I just want people to know that be ready to commit to years of training. You know, you can make progress in a short amount of time, but to really transform your physique, I feel like it takes years and I don't even feel like I'm anywhere close and I've been training hard for who knows how long at this point. So those are some things that come to mind. That's kind of the cool part of it is it's a constant growth process, not just physically, but also mentally. This is, that's something we talk a lot about on this podcast is the, the mental fortitude and breakthroughs and developments that you experience when you push yourself physically. And that's been a, a major kind of driver for me to continue progressing in the gym is just continuing to hone that mental side of it. How do you kind of view the mental side of fitness? Yeah, such a great point. Coach Laura is obviously famous around here for saying that fitness teaches you life. And I think it's so true. And the reason I love fitness and body recomposition muscle gain, strength gain is that you just can't, you just can't cheat the system. And I love that so much because everyone's so eager to, you know, find the shortest hack to do anything in life because we want to live efficient, comfortable lives. But fitness is defined by getting uncomfortable. Like you literally can't pursue a fitness goal without getting uncomfy or else you'll plateau in a day. So I think the mental grid is super important. It's probably, it's probably the thing that I wish most clients would get the most like if there's one thing they would take away from our program and like working with me it's like you have to be willing to put in the mental reps because your physical capabilities will flow from that but like the deep well is like your mindset about everything and i just think it's that important yeah i totally agree you talked a little bit about the having a long-term perspective when it comes to your fitness journey and i think that's really important for people to embody. There's such a focus in the fitness industry on getting results in seven days, 30 days, losing 20 pounds fast, doing all of these kind of crash diets or accelerated programs and just a hyper focus on getting results quickly. And I 
I totally understand the appeal of that, but I think ultimately the goal that everyone should have is to build a long-term sustainable fit vegan lifestyle. And really the only way that happens is slowly. And you can, like if you're just getting started and you have a coach or someone to guide you along the path, like you can get up to speed pretty quickly, but still, as you mentioned, you can't cheat the system. You can't cheat health and fitness or biology. You need to, and and sometimes just slower consistency yields better results over the long term. So yeah, could you just expand on that a little bit? How, how do you view, how do you create that long-term perspective? How have you created that long-term perspective in your own life? And how do you share that with your clients? Yeah. I'll answer the question about myself first, because I think I had to learn this somewhat the hard way, not the hardest way, but a decently hard way. The first time that I committed to losing body fat in a systematic way was in one of Steve Cook's fitness culture summer sizzle challenges. And I came into it with a total ego and I thought, I know what I'm doing. I can get shredded. I'm going to win this thing. It's going to be easy. We'll bank it for a vacation or something. I don't know why I felt like that because I'd never done that before. <laughs> so there was definitely a knowledge gap and uh, some arrogance going on there that I but absolutely there regret. There was definitely confidence. There was no shortage of confidence. And I remember starting, I think I was 200, maybe 202. And I was like, I'm going to get shredded. And I did a 12 week cut and it was pretty miserable. Like I was in a pretty extreme deficit and I was taking the fast route that we're talking about. I was the guy who was, I wouldn't say I was trying to cheat the system because I was definitely putting in the work, but I was being a little short-sighted maximum deficit, six days in the week, six days a week in the weight room, hard hypertrophy sessions, arguably overtraining, not really being productive. And I lost like 18 pounds in 12 weeks, which is cool. You know, it's about a pound and a half a week and that's a great rate of loss. Um, But I felt terrible and my lifestyle suffered and I was eating weird Frankenstein foods to make it happen. And at the end of the day, I really didn't even feel good about the physique I had created after those 18 pounds of fat loss and actually wound up gaining all of it back faster than I should have. And I just say that to start because there's always a cost to doing things really fast and really hard. And you have to make sure that you can handle that. Like, for example, one analogy I like is, you know, if you, the mountain analogy comes up a lot, right? So if you think about a mountain and how steep the mountain is, there might be 20 different ways to get to the summit. The steepest one has the highest cost, even if it's the fastest route. So when I'm working with clients, I always try to remind them that I know you're really motivated and you're really excited that you just made this investment in yourself and you want to go hard. And I get that. And that's cool. But sometimes you have to save people from themselves and show them that the longer, more sustainable route is what's going to set them up best long-term so that this can be a fit vegan lifestyle, not just a hot flash of a moment. And that one time you lost 20 pounds when you did this one vegan program and then you fall off the wagon forever, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really, I've actually never heard that mountain analogy, but I think that's a a really good analogy. And that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly true. I also didn't know that you did a, a, that program with, um, 
the sizzle through, through fitness culture. Yeah. yeah. Which actually we just went to his gym. We just went to Steve Cook's gym, fitness culture a couple of days ago. And that was a, a cool experience. So yeah, I guess it kind of brought it full circle. Yeah. And that's you. why it was, <laughs> that's why it was so special to me because everyone who's on their own fitness journey has people they've looked up to along the way. And Steve Cook was one of those people for me. I thought he was cool. I thought he was down to earth. He was strong. He was funny. And I just love the way he communicated with people. And I saw that gym so many times on YouTube. So to think back where I was all those years ago, dabbling in fitness for the first time and sort of looking up to this cool guy and then being in his gym and kind of holding my own, you know, like having built a physique that I'm proud of and a level of fitness I'm proud of. It was cool. It was like a full circle experience for sure. Yeah, I actually had a, a similar experience with Christian Guzman's program. Yeah. The the summer I think the summer shred or summer yeah, yeah always summer, summer shredding. shredding. Always summer, yeah, shredding. summer shredding. So I did that a couple years ago. It was might have been actually the first time he launched it. And I did that and it was I did the same thing. Was like, oh, I'm going in, I got this. This is this is gonna be easy. I'm going to just go into hyper shred mode <laughs> and just get super chiseled. And, and I did, but I didn't win. And I also did not feel good. And I did it in a way that just made me miserable. Yeah. So I think you really, yeah. Like, can you, can you, get super super ripped quickly can you lose a bunch of weight quickly yes you can but how are you setting yourself up for post that process right is is that actually going to set you up for success or are you setting yourself up for future struggles and what's really interesting is sometimes you have to ask people if you think that they think they can handle the rebound because sometimes you can do the diet for 12 weeks and put in the work and get shredded. But can you handle yourself whenever it's over? I mean, that's the real question I feel like, because we see statistically that people can lose weight, but the number of people that keep it off for a lifetime in a sustainable way, hilariously low. I think the last time I checked, it was like 4% or less. So one of the questions I'm always asking clients is like, Hey, we can do what you want to do, but my fear is that you don't understand what that's going to take. And I don't, I don't know if you really want that. So let's just decide right now if you're willing to go to the pain locker and also discuss if you think that's actually going to be good for your whole life. For example, I have a student right now and they wanted to set a, sever, a fairly aggressive goal. And I was like, when you're in a deficit, you're not going to be able to perform as well academically. You're just not going to have the energy. Some of your social relationships might have to take a back burner. I just want to make sure that you're willing to pay the price because I think people forget that the price always increases when the reward is higher, you know? So that's, I'm always trying to have those conversations early and, yeah. and position a longer term approach. Yeah. Those are important conversations. So what are you most proud of accomplishing up to this point in your fitness journey? In my fitness journey, I'm probably most proud of the strength gains that I've made because I transitioned to training predominantly for CrossFit about two years ago, not quite. And I just had this revelation that even though I looked air quote good in a few photos and people had trusted me with my fitness knowledge about how to look a certain way, I felt personally that I couldn't really do anything. And I felt very immobile. 
I wasn't training any of the major strength movements. I hadn't dabbled in Olympic lifting and people will always be quick to say that vegans built most of their muscle before they went vegan. That's kind of a easy critique uh, from some areas of the, uh, the demographic. And for me, all of my strength gains have come as a vegan for the most part, any meaningful strength program that I did was done as a vegan. And so I recently hit a new PR and like my clean and jerk and I'll be the first one to admit, like I'm not the strongest guy in the room. That's probably my greatest weakness as an athlete, but all of my CrossFit, um, improvements have come as a vegan. I'm really happy with the pace that it's come at. And so I would say my greatest achievement is those, but also being willing to do it as a vegan and kind of prove anyone wrong that thinks you can't be a successful CrossFitter as a vegan. Yeah. So a vegan CrossFitter, that's uh, which, which one do you tell people first when you meet them? <sighs> Man, it's so <laughs> funny because obviously the stereotype is almost the same, like yeah. <laughs> that vegans and CrossFitters are equally obnoxious, yeah. which is a huge bummer because there are those people out there. But at the end of the day, if I were to back them up at all, it would be, I think people are passionate about those two lifestyle patterns because they seem really, really important. You know, anyone who's a vegan wants other people to be vegan, not because they get anything out of it, but because they think there's some bigger altruistic benefit for living a plant-based life. And similar with CrossFit, I think CrossFitters see people training in ways that aren't as optimal as they could be. And they just want people to live their fittest life. So they wind up bringing it up at every dinner party yeah. and it's still annoying, but <laughs> that's my only defense for the CrossFit crowd. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that's a really, yeah, that's a, I, I think that's right in that I like having conversations about veganism because I, I feel like it is for the greater good. And I feel like it is in that person's best interest. And I don't go around telling everyone I'm vegan, but I am always ready to have those conversations when someone else kind of tees that up. So yeah, yeah, I know you're totally not like that. I'm just, just kidding. But, no, for sure. But that's uh yeah, that's a, that's a cool way of looking at it. Yeah. So what inspired you to become a coach? Yeah, that's an easy one. For me, I was so frustrated when I was trying to figure it out on my own that there were like all these scams in the fitness industry, like ev around every corner. I still get this one particular ad on YouTube and hopefully my computer doesn't pick this up because I would love to never see it again. <laughs> and I won't say who it is, you know, out of respect, but there's this one really bad YouTube ad that's actually really compelling and it really draws you in and you think like, oh, like this person does have the secret and I don't know what I'm doing and I should pay this person a lot of money for this one secret. And I was tired of all that, man. Like I wish someone had made it simpler back in the day you know, basic understanding of how calories work and the importance of protein, but not overhyping the importance of protein. And then talking about how to put together a reasonable training program, all of those basic things. Like I wanted to be able to share that with other people in a way that was digestible and effective. So that was, that was the beginning. And I also found that talking about fitness was something I could do all day. And although I don't fully believe that if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I definitely understand the baseline sentiment, which is if you're passionate about what you do, life's a lot more fun. And so I just saw being a fitness coach as something that would be really fulfilling for me long-term. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know who you're talking about. I've seen a bunch of his ads too. And it's rough. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty rough. Yeah. As a, as someone who has taken the time to learn 
uh, just consume as much as possible in regards to nutrition and fitness information. It's really frustrating to see other people in a place of authority sharing some bogus stuff to sell a $27 workout program. So yeah, that's, that's why that's part of the reason we do what we do. So what's, so that's why I became a coach. What kind of brought you to our team, the vegan gym? Right. For sure. It was, it was a combination of the mission and then another super true aspect of it would be that it's actually really hard to do it on your own. It's really hard to make a splash. And the idea of working with a huge team of people that were all doing things that they were specially trained to do was really appealing. And I really liked the idea of just coaching because for anyone who doesn't know, like to win people's authority, you have to, you have to have a social media presence and you have to be out there and you have to be doing all kinds of things that are more business related than they are related to coaching. And so joining a team was an amazing decision that I wouldn't take back and back to the mission thing. I mean, I love the mission. We want to help a million vegans get into the best shape of their lives. I mean, that that is something I'll get out of bed for every single day. And the way I was doing it at the time was, I want to be sure I say this delicately because I don't mean any disrespect to anybody, but I was having weird thoughts about working with meat eaters because I knew that when I gave them macros that they were going to go out and hurt the animals that I loved. And that was hard for me. So the idea of working with people that would be choosing plants 100% of the time and we could have, you know, aggressive protein intakes and uh, creative dietary strategies. That was so, that was a kind of a, a weight lifted off my conscience in some sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is really hard just kind of starting on your own. And I, yeah, I was lucky to have Anders along that journey. So we had each other to support, but still, so it's a, it's really difficult. To, I mean, you would know more than anyone to, else because you guys pushed it as far as you did and we're here because of it. But you went through all those difficult things that maybe every sing, single person on the team has gone through, you know, before they decided to join up. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the mission and just having, having that purpose, I also agree that if you are following your passion, I, I don't, necessarily agree you'll never actually work a day in your life because there are still lots of things that need to get done that i'd rather not do totally <laughs> and, that, that's, and just, that's all i mean that's by just it how it goes. right <laughs> but but yeah at the same time having that purpose having that kind of mission driving you is is really probably the only reason that we have gotten to this point right so you've learned a lot in fitness both as an omnivore and then uh, as a as a vegan, what are your top nutrition tips about how to thrive as a vegan on this health and fitness path? Yeah, this is one of my favorite conversations. So we could probably talk about this for a long time, but I I'll be really specific too. If you're not having a smoothie every single day, <laughs> I just want to know why because it's the easiest way to get so many micronutrients and a huge blast of protein in. It's so fast, it's delicious, it's arguably a dessert. I just don't understand anyone who's not <laughs> making use of a massive smoothie or two. Like I just actually experimented with some higher protein intakes for myself. And it, I wouldn't say it requires two smoothies a day, but it just makes it easy for my lifestyle. 
and it's amazing. There's no part of me that doesn't look forward to having smoothies. So that's yeah. number one for sure. Um, yeah, if I could just jump in yeah, for a second. Do. I, yeah, we've, we've been talking a lot about smoothies over the past couple of weeks and I have, I have always been into smoothies, but I've been getting way more into smoothies. And now for pretty much the last three months, I, almost every morning, my breakfast has been a massive smoothie and you can just pack in a bunch of micronutrients. You can pack in protein. You can, I can eat cups of spinach for breakfast and it feels like a dessert and I can do all that before 9am. It's, it's a unreal. Pretty, it's a pretty awesome deal. It's so. super awesome. And it holds you forever. Like yeah. I think you even said this the other day, but sometimes you won't even have your second meal until like 2pm. Yeah. Yeah. So it can also, yeah, it's, it's awesome for a, a wide variety of It's reasons. super satiating. And I'll say too, I follow two brain health specialists. They're a married couple to Sure's Eyes. Some people listening might be aware of them. And they, they basically issued like this thing called the Neuro Nine, where it was like nine really, really, really helpful plant foods for your brain health. And they're basically everything that you would put in a smoothie, leafy greens, berries, nuts and seeds, things like that. And to be able to tick all of those boxes in a single serving, just it's too good to be true. Yeah. So hop on I actually it. just sent out an email, I guess this was just yesterday, about kind of what my diet currently looks like, what I eat in a day. And I talked about the smoothie in there that I've been eating and I gave a ingredients list. And yeah, I realized in going back and looking at the nutrition, I was like, I'm checking off about half of Dr. Greger's daily dozen before 9am right? with this smoothie. <laughs> yeah. How can you beat that? You just can't beat it. Like there's no, there's no way to beat it, especially for the convenience. So yeah, pretty awesome. Get on the smoothie game. All right. Sorry to jump in. What's, no, the, totally what's the next nutrition tip? I would say too, like, again, like if you just want to get down to business with your fitness endeavors, just stop being bashful about protein. Just eat the tofu, eat the tempeh, eat the soy curls. If you're afraid of soy, we can all help you tear down those walls and remind you that soy is a health food. And I'm sure people have varying opinions, but you and I both smash tofu like there's no tomorrow. So I would say if you're not having some kind of like bowl of tofu in a cruciferous vegetable and a grain, again, I would just say why? Because it's so easy and similar to the smoothie. You're kind of checking like the the vegetable half of the health because I do think it's easy to go down the, I smash a ton of fruit in the smoothies, but I don't get as many vegetables as I should. And I can even raise my hand and say that I've been that guy in the past. So yeah, long story short, don't be bashful about tofu have a half block a day or whatever's appropriate for your goal because it's just such an amazing protein source i don't know why you would skip out on it some other things that come to mind would be front loading your steps in the day and as long as you're willing to embrace some of the research on intermittent fasting back loading your calories can be helpful even though it's slightly less optimal for burning fat throughout the day i think we see in the literature I find that the lifestyle benefits of backloading your calories can just be really helpful for a lot of people. It won't be perfect for everyone, but I would say probably my most effortless fat loss experiences were when I just pushed my first meal off until 2 p.m. and then struggled to eat all of the food I needed to. Not in a weird way, but just it felt really effortless and, and easy to do. So front-loading steps, 
the worst thing in the world is to look down at your device at the end of the day and realize you have like 8,000 steps to go and you have an hour before bed. That's demoralizing (laughs) and unsustainable. So front load your steps, consider backloading your calories if you think it's appropriate. Yeah, that's, I've never heard it phrased that way. I think that's cool too, to look at what we would front load in the day, like some of that activity, getting those steps in and then backloading maybe some of those calories. I agree. Yeah, the the research pretty clearly says that there's no benefits in terms of if we're talking about two uh, two eating approaches that ha- contain the same number of calories, there's no benefit to intermittent fasting in terms of burning body fat. However, the best diet is the one that you can easily maintain. And if that means if intermittent fasting and pushing your meals to kind of starting in the early afternoon or mid afternoon allows you to more easily maintain a caloric deficit, which is uh, critical to losing body fats, then it could be a helpful fat loss strategy for you. Totally. I have also personally found that to be the case. So whenever, and I kind of, I've actually been experimenting with intuitive fat loss periods where I'm actually not tracking my nutrition. I'm just kind of eating based on how I feel and just generally hitting the right protein intake. And I have a pretty good grasp of where I need to be in terms of my meal structure to get there with protein and generally get there with calories. So I kind of do that. I've been doing that intuitively and then also kind of almost playing a game with myself and trying to kind of push my meal, not to the point where I'm just getting irritable or something because I'm starving, but I will push my meal to the point where it's like, okay, yeah, I got to 1 p.m. All right, time for breakfast. Or I got to 2, 3 p.m. time to eat my first meal. So yeah, that's been really helpful. And I would love for you to expand a little bit on steps. Because I know you're a huge proponent of steps. In fact, hearing you talk about it over the last year has really kind of re-inspired my focus on the importance of getting steps in, not just for weight maintenance or weight loss, but also for overall health. So could you talk through a little bit about what steps mean to you and how you how you view those with clients or maybe how you decide what a certain step count should be. Yeah, of course. I'm very passionate about walking because I think it is the most underrated fat loss modality, hands down. And I think people just underestimate going for walks because it seems too easy. People think you should have to do like some insane echo bike workout and burn a ton of calories and, you know, kind of get like the afterburn effects. So you're like revving up your metabolism acutely and that's all great and stuff. But if I told you that you could just walk 5,000 steps more per day on average and achieve really sustainable fat loss, I just think a lot of people don't know that. So there's kind of a knowledge gap, but for me, I guess I'll rewind and say that steps are basically a way to control the variables and make sure that your non-exercise activity thermogenesis isn't taking an unnecessary dip. And I'll try to unpack that because maybe not everybody knows what that means. But basically there's this phenomenon that happens when you're losing weight intentionally while you're in a calorie deficit that your body just 
stops doing all of the, I would say unnecessary movement that you might do in a normal day. So even right now while we're doing this podcast, I'm eating a ton of food right now. So I'm using my hands, I'm talking, I feel animated, I feel peppy, kind of moving my leg a little bit and trying not to mess up the recording. <laughs> and when you're dieting, your body, for lack of a better word, just kind of starts to downregulate a little bit. You just kind of slow down. You don't do that stuff. You don't run up the stairs. You don't take double steps. So standardizing it by saying, I'm going to commit to walking 8,000 steps a day is just the most obvious way to nullify that effect. And I think it's super, super helpful for fat loss clients. So I would say that's super duper important. And I guess on the health side of things, I think we see it. I'm not super familiar, but I believe the last time I checked the research, you get most of the health benefits of walking somewhere around like 8,000 steps per day. And then the benefits are somewhat asymptotic up to like 15 or 20,000 steps. And then it's probably just not sustainable to walk that much yeah. in a day, you know, unless you're literally commuting by foot to the nearby city. Um, so I, I usually start clients out with whatever is just a little bit more than they're currently doing. Because again, I'm like, super passionate about sustainability. So if I know, if they tell me that they generally walk about 4,000 steps a day, I'll say, cool, let's aim for a weekly average per day of 5,000. So you're not just totally smoking them out the gate with something that they're unfamiliar with. And again, it just comes back to sustainability and, and just walking more. And I guess one final thought is I would rather see most of my clients be the do more, eat more client than the do less, eat less client. And that's where I think steps come into play because eating more food and walking more usually mitigates hunger more than eating less and doing less. And I've found that to be true too. Like if I just slash my calories super low and I'm very sedentary, I feel the hunger. But if I eat a ton of food and I walk a ton and it's still a net equal in those two situations, I'm a much more happy guy eating more food. Yeah, I... I'm totally in the same boat. I much rather log extra steps and be able to eat extra calories. <laughs> totally. That's, the, that's always the way to go. And I know I, I'm pretty sure I already mentioned this a few episodes ago, but I recently got a treadmill desk and that has truly been a game changer. I've been doing lots of my meetings while walking and I'm not going fast. I'm going maybe two miles an hour, 2.2. That's kind of the sweet spot that I found. But I'm able to log an extra uh, five miles a day, like pretty easily right. by just walking slowly on meetings. And that, that really adds up. That's, that's maybe 500 plus calories from just some extra walking. And that, that means I can have a whole nother moderate size meal <laughs> totally, and still maintain uh, not actually gain any body fat from that. Yeah, it's beautiful. And maybe some anecdotal information that people might find interesting because I feel like when I was a noob in the game, I always wanted to know exactly what people were doing, you know, but none of the, call them experts, want to talk about it because they're like, oh no, it's not important. You don't need to know what I'm doing. You need to know the principles. And that's true. But I will just tell people that when I lost my 35 pounds, I started off at a certain calorie intake that I will not share because that is irrelevant. That was appropriate for me. And then I just jacked my steps up by a thousand every week or so, maybe every other week. And I kept my food as consistent as possible for as long as possible. And as I like to say to clients, I just walked to the moon every day. I got up to like 15,000 at one point and that was a little bit demanding on my time, 
but it provided really, really, really amazing fat loss results. And I didn't feel like I had to sacrifice my fun in the kitchen, if that makes sense. Yeah. One other thing we were talking about physical health, but one other benefit that I have personally found from just walking more is kind of the mental health aspect of just getting out in nature and walking around and just taking some more of that time to be active outdoors is something that I really love doing. And it's, it feels a little bit more purposeful when I am doing an activity. So going out and taking a walk is just a really great way of kind of, uh, lowering any stress, just generally feeling better. So it's amazing. It's amazing. It's, it's interesting because I think it's going to be really hard for people to do studies on, the positive relationships between just being outside and being active. Cause I'm not really sure how you would measure that and report that. But I have this huge hunch that there are some real scientific benefits to getting out in the sunshine, walking in the grass, just being present with nature, mental health benefits, stress relief benefits that it's just going to hard. It's going to be hard to point to a paper. And so clients are just going to have to trust that anecdotally, we've all experienced this to be true. So just give it a chance. And I think as long as you're being clear about the fact that you're not referencing a scientific paper like you would about optimal protein feedings, and you're just saying, hey, I've seen this to be super helpful for so many people. I think you should try going on a nature walk twice a week and see if that helps you with your anxiety. I think that's cool too. And I would love to see that show up more in training programs beyond the barbells. Yeah, I I love doing all different types of training outside. I just love being outside in, in general. It's great. But yeah, I think for me, that plays a big role in my stress levels, mental health, and just really helps me to stay, stay grounded and, and feeling my best. So what do you feel sets your coaching apart? What, what's kind of special or kind of unique about how you coach clients? I think that's a fun question. I would say that I try to be really creative and I think I have a bit of a gift in nuancing information and tweaking strategies to really meet people in their own unique lifestyle. Because I think one thing that any cookie cutter program that you'll ever get off of the internet is lacking is nuance and specificity for who you are as a person. So I guess what I mean specifically is taking a true inventory of your lifestyle and what you like and who you are as a person, and then making a training program and arguably an entire lifestyle that's centered around being a fit vegan that actually makes sense for you. Because the worst thing I think you can do is try to fit a circle person into a square program. Because maybe that program is ideal on paper for someone else. But again, like you mentioned earlier, it's not the program that's perfect on paper, it's the program that you can do for a lifetime. And even if you think about sustainability in phases, which I love to do, I think it's really important to keep the long-term goal in mind. And then in terms of creativity, I'll give a few examples, but I think a lot of people are quick to stress out about holiday meals or going on vacation with the family or really anytime they leave the vacuum of their perfect muscle gaining and fat loss lifestyle where you have perfect control over everything that you eat. You have the food scale in your kitchen, even going out to dinner with friends can be stressful or, you know, how do I navigate alcohol and all those things and just giving people a peace of mind that. There is a strategic way to do it. You can blend 
a bit of evidence with whatever's the most appropriate thing for your lifestyle and have a really successful outcome. So I try to be creative whenever I coach. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think that's part of the beauty of coaching is being able to uh, work through those kind of problems in a creative way and, and give your clients a, a really powerful, unique experience. So kind of building off of that, can you share a success story or some success stories of your clients who have like really transformed their, uh, their bodies, maybe their mindsets around fitness, nutrition, health, and yeah, what kind of, what kind of things have, I'd love to just inspire listeners with with some of those wins. Yeah. I feel like I could go on and on. So feel free to jump in or cut me off whenever it's been too much, but I guess I'll start with maybe one of the more dramatic ones that might bring hope to a lot of people. I know he wouldn't mind me mentioning his name. So his name was Mikey and you and I have interacted with Mikey a lot. He had an interesting story in that he was essentially the stereotypical overweight guy who hated himself. And the only reason I use that word is because I've heard him say it. So I know that he felt that way about himself. He was doing all of the cleanses, all of the fast acting diets and and reaching for quick results and failing over and over and over again for more than a decade. And so what we were able to do was just have a good, honest conversation about how this will actually work sustainably long-term, why everything you've tried up until this point hasn't worked and how we're going to correct that narrative. And I think for him, even though he did wind up losing over 70 pounds, which people will say, oh, that's amazing. Like, what was the exact program he did? Let me just tell everybody, it was a very basic training program. There was nothing secret. There was no secret weapon about the program. It was based on evidence. He was doing compound movements. He was walking and he was eating a healthy diet that was calorically appropriate for his goals. But beyond that, I think his mindset wins were the biggest thing ever. I think the one thing that will always stick with me is that he told me once in a check-in call that he used to get ready in the dark in the mornings because he was afraid of mirrors and he didn't want to look at his body because he hated himself. And now, even though he's not where he wants to be long-term in terms of his physique and his fitness level, he actually cares for himself and he loves himself. And I'm actually not usually the coach who's throwing around a lot of sentimental language, but if you don't love yourself genuinely and you don't care for yourself, then no physique is ever going to do it for you. That'll never lead you to happiness. And it just goes back to the mindset thing. So that was a quick one. Mikey was amazing. And we actually just spent some time with him in person, which was fun. I would say another good example is a lady who I'll name, I'll leave anonymous uh, for her privacy, but she was really, really successful in business and had a really, really great career and very well respected in her communities kind of used to being the boss and well-respected, but her fitness journey, I think she would agree had become a secondary priority. She had gotten a little bit bigger than she wanted to be maybe 30 pounds overweight. And what was really interesting about her success is that we didn't do it in any kind of traditional way. She didn't like the idea of doing specific workouts every week. And I guess you could make the argument that she was a bit of a rebel and she didn't want to do it by the books. So this was a great opportunity for me to be really creative with her because what I would do is I would give her really loose parameters. Like I want you to do this many sets of some kind of a pulling motion this week. 
and do somewhere between this rep and this rep. And she liked being given a box that then she could play inside, but she didn't like the extreme rigidity of a lot of training programs that are like, take this to RPE nine, do five and a half sets with a drop set, all those things. And so I think for her, the big win was realizing that you don't have to be a bro or a bikini competitor who has their fitness dialed in on all these apps and all these things to have success. You can have fun. You can be creative with the guidance of a coach who's still applying evidence-based principles to that creativity. That was a really big win for her. And now she's down like 25 pounds, more muscle than ever. She's like sending me bicep flex photos. (laughs) And this is a person who's never been a fit person, you know? And so that was, that was a huge win for her. That's awesome. So how do you, in kind of continuing to, I know you have very much kind of a growth mentality around how do I level up as a coach? How do I learn more stuff? How do you stay up to date on the latest research and developments within the world of vegan nutrition and fitness? What resources have you found to be most helpful in that process? Yeah, it's a really important question because we all know that the nutrition space can be a minefield and it's easy to manipulate studies to really say wherever you want. And that can be confusing and discouraging for a lot of people. And I think it's a big reason that some people never give the plant-based life a chance because it's just too full of confusion. So for me, by far the number one resource I'm leaning into is the Proof podcast with Simon Hill. It's just super great. He prides himself on being agenda-free. And I think I believe that as much as it's possible because I think at the end of the day, when you've seen the benefits of a plant-based life, there is some part of you that's rooting for other people to see it as well. But at the same time, being a scientist about it and saying that we can only communicate what the research says. And I think he does a really good job of doing that. He has a bunch of wonderful guests and I enjoy digging into the details of nutritional science with Simon Hill on a weekly basis. And then I think to be honest, a lot of it is having quality conversations with the people on our team and sharing resources among one another. Whenever we're looking for information, we all piggyback off of each other's expertise and ask questions and people are tossing around papers and studies and things like that that have been shared. And I find that to be really beneficial. Yeah, that's that's one of many things I really love about our team is that we all work together. And I, I haven't... I guess I haven't really been exposed to that many other coaching teams. So I guess I can't make a sweeping statement here, but I have never really heard of that happening on any kind of notable scale. And I just think that's, I think that's a huge asset that we, that we give each other on our team. And I think that's, that's really cool. And I love, I love learning from all of you and, I love that everyone on the team just kind of is there to learn and grow. I think that makes it uh, a really special place. Yeah. So our coaching program is called the vegan superhero Academy and kind of the core identity there is that of a vegan superhero. So I'd love to hear in your words, what does being a vegan superhero mean to you? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that a vegan superhero is first and foremost concerned about issues that are beyond themselves. And I think maybe that's the most distinguishing characteristic for me because there are a lot of people that are very, very driven 
but only really concerned about the rewards that it will give them specifically. Whereas when I think of a vegan superhero, I think of someone who's really committed to the greater good in a really truly altruistic sense, you know, keeping as like for me, keeping as many animals off of plates as possible and people who see the environmental impacts and people who see disease running through their families and want to basically speak truth into those people who could be living a much healthier lifestyle. So I think it's about being selfless. I think it's about speaking up for the voiceless. I, uh, I went vegan for the animals. So I always think of that first and foremost, but you know, it's no different than being Batman, right? You're just trying to save the city from all the bad guys. And that's not to say that we're personifying anyone who isn't vegan as the bad guys, but you know, there are some unfortunate systems at play out there that we should be skeptical of. And if we can work against those in a ways that benefits everyone, then that's what I think it's all about. Yeah. I remember just kind of brainstorming names because I was like, we need, we used to, it used to be called the Vegan Gains Academy. And I thought that was cool because at the, like I was all about building muscle and I would like want to get big and jacked. But I also understood that's not, that's not necessarily everyone's goal. And also that's not that there's no real kind of identity there. So in when we rebranded many years ago, I, yeah, really kind of leaned into this idea of being a superhero and the fact that we are literally saving the world through our lifestyle choices. We're saving other beings. We're saving the earth. And I think, yeah, that's a really, that's a really powerful aspect of how we are approaching health and fitness, whether you're in in this program or not like vegans just uh pursuing their best selves through fitness i think is really cool yeah so how do you help your clients to set realistic goals and develop those long-term sustainable habits that we were talking about and what do you think are the keys to building that long-term success if there is a poison that people are consuming on a regular basis when they come into my corner as a coach. It's this idea of perfection and doing everything right all the time. It is such a disease. And so if anyone listening to this is struggling with that, the black or white thinking is it's so cancerous to your, your long-term success. So I'm always trying to tear down those walls from the very first call and we're chatting through things and I always want to know what their tendencies are. And not everyone struggles with perfectionism, but plenty of people do. And especially high achieving people who are willing to invest in their health and wellness the way we offer our services. And so when it comes to setting goals, it's it's about having lots of conversations early on about how are you going to navigate adversity when it comes your way and not pretending like you're not going to have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad phase or whatever it might be and being prepared to embrace the imperfect moments rather than expecting a flawless fitness experience that you might see on Instagram when everything is highlighted and uh, airbrushed, you know, um, on a more specific note, it's all about making the big vision, breaking it down into smaller goals. So for anyone who wants to lose 50 pounds, you actually want to lose three pounds and then we'll lose three more and then we'll lose three more. And then maybe someday, hopefully you'll get to 50. Uh, but just kind of breaking down the intimidation factor of having a really big goal and chunking it up into bite-sized goals. Yeah. Great points. I, I think that's a really helpful perspective to view, view the journey. 
So what do you enjoy most about coaching vegans to help them look and feel their best? And what motivates you to continue coaching and, and uh, giving this gift to, to people? I think people usually have a handful of light bulb moments along the way that are really fun to navigate with people. And I think that would probably be true in a lot of areas of life. You know, if you're, you know, if like you're a really skilled boxer and you, you get a young person who's into boxing and you start teaching them the ways and they realize that they're strong and capable and you get to celebrate all of those moments with them. It's kind of like a mentorship or even almost like a parenting experience every once in a while when people kind of tear down those self-limiting beliefs that they may have been struggling with for their whole life. You know, maybe like middle-aged women who thought they could never, you know, lift a certain amount of weight or they never thought that they could do a Bulgarian split squat or something like that. And yet, and yet celebrating those moments with people just through taking the baby steps. I mean, again, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning because if it were all about just emailing people training programs and issuing macros, then I don't think it would be as fulfilling, but I think the intimacy that our coaching system offers people is it's one of a kind. And I, I personally wouldn't have it any other way because those emotional connections and the friendships and the bonds are, those are the best thing. Yeah. That really is the coolest part of, of what we do. Just that being able to build those relationships, build that community is so powerful. And I think that's, I think that's a really big part of your, your journey is just being able to share, share the wins, share the struggles with other people and get that encouragement accountability and support from a team of other people who are in your corner cheering you on. Right. So how do you incorporate things like mindfulness or self-care practices into your coaching to kind of help your clients cultivate a more holistic approach to their health and fitness journey? It's a very tricky question. And I try to always be mindful of it because I think you and I both know what it's like to go hard in the paint on a fitness endeavor and just kind of ignore a lot of other stuff that I guess technically isn't relevant to your fitness experience, but it's relative or it's important for you as a person. For example, social relationships, the way you show up at work, the way you show up in other areas of your life, how you interact with your partner, your spouse, or whoever you might be with. So I think the way to coach people on that is to remind them that they are an entire entity of a person and they're not just a person doing a fitness thing right now. So let's build habits that actually allow you to flourish in all areas of your life. And being a fit vegan athlete will just be a part of that rather than totally identifying as like a vegan fitness superstar. Because then I think we've seen it time and time again, when people lose themselves completely in bodybuilding, there are negative side effects to that. When people lose themselves completely in CrossFit and block out everything else in the rest of their life, it can be bad. And it can even, you know, lead to unfortunate things like an unhealthy relationship with training and nutrition, which are meant to be beautiful things that help you flourish. So on a more specific level, asking people always number one, when I talk to them, how are you doing and what are you doing to take care of yourself beyond your fitness? Because yes, it's fitness and nutrition and that's what we're all qualified to coach people on, but seeing people as a complete thing rather than just one tiny element of their life. Yeah. Yeah. I love taking a more holistic approach. I think that's a really important part of 
ensuring that everyone is truly successful long-term. So how do you approach coaching clients who may struggle with body image issues or kind of disordered eating patterns or tendencies? And what do you do to promote a healthy and balanced relationship with food and exercise for those people? Maybe the first thing is to let those people know that there are no mandatory protocols in our relationship. So if you have issues looking at your body, we don't have to do before pictures. Is that helpful for me? Of course. Is that something that I would love to be able to do someday because we can tackle that fear? Totally. But right now you don't have to subject yourself to anything that you feel is mandatory based on how you feel like the fitness industry works. If using a food scale is terrifying to you, then we can teach you other ways to interact with food in a way that's healthy and supports your goals. So I think people just need to know that there aren't any there aren't really any non-negotiables besides bringing your best effort and being willing to do hard things. Like no one's saying that you can always be off the hook and you can never press into those fears because I do think that growth exists on the edge of fear, but just letting them know that they're safe. Uh, I'm not going to bite your head off. I'm here to be your coach, but I'm also here to be your friend and I can wear several different hats depending on what's most appropriate and what you need the most. In terms of getting over those struggles, that is a really, it's a really complex issue. And I feel like I'm always learning more about it. But one thing that I've been talking to a handful of clients lately about is this idea of accumulating positive experiences that go against old behavior and celebrate new behavior. So if you've always been the person who had a stressful day at work or a strained conversation with your spouse, and then you go to the Oreos because that gives you comfort, then as hard as it is, you have to reach out to me in that moment and tell me, Hey, I'm struggling with the temptation to go back to food, to soothe myself. And I know that we don't want to do that. Can you help me not do that? And then we can redirect your therapy behavior basically to something that actually helps you succeed. Maybe that's reading a book that you enjoy or taking a hot bath, but it can't be something that contradicts the person that you really want to be. So that's one specific thing I've been talking about a lot lately with people, but it requires a lot of bravery and accountability because as soon as you reach out to me about it, you know that I'm going to encourage you not to go after the Oreos and plenty of people want the Oreos. Yeah. So yeah, totally love that. And you were talking a little bit ago about kind of this black and white thinking, this all or nothing mentality, which was actually the topic of a recent podcast that I did with honors. And I really basically what, what we ended up sharing is that I personally feel like the key to long-term success is being just to throw a random number on it, 60% consistent over a long period of time. And maybe, maybe for you, that's 50% or 70% or wherever you kind of fall, but just being consistent most of the time for a long time. Totally agree. What, uh, what would you say are your top tips for staying consistent with nutrition and exercise? I think when it comes to new, when it comes to fitness and exercise, you have to make sure that you're having some level of fun along the way, because if it's never fun and you never enjoy it, I would say there's maybe a problem there. And that can sometimes cause people to rearrange their priorities. Cause I think we've had plenty of people come into the program and 
share a dream body picture with us and say, I want to look like this and I don't care what it takes, but they don't know what it takes. So they're not allowed to not care about what it takes because they don't know. (laughs) And then when you tell them, they realize that they don't want to train like a bodybuilder that they would actually really love to do some running, you know, and yet running, although it can be a part of a muscle building endeavor, it's not really specifically related to building muscle in any direct way. So keep it fun. Um, if you can make your cardio as fun as possible, that's great. Like you were saying, getting outside, playing sand volleyball, anything, playing pickup basketball with some friends, that would be probably my number one tip for the fitness side of things. And then nutrition, I'll just get really specific because this comes up all the time. Sometimes people get a little bit overwhelmed by air quote, optimal protein intake, and they just find it annoying to be chasing protein all day long or three times a day or four times a day. And yet sometimes those same people will say, I want the optimal plan. I'll do it. And then they realize after a few months, I don't actually want to eat this much protein long-term. And you can just have that honest conversation with them and say, Hey, to keep this sustainable, why don't we just do like 80% of like the Nimai Delgado optimal protein intake and settle into that. So you can actually live your life and have fun, you know? And it's amazing how sometimes when you drop someone's protein intake from 130 grams a day to 115 grams a day, arguably fairly arbitrary in the long term, that it's a huge relief off their shoulders because they don't feel oppressed by this lifestyle that they didn't want. So I think just having those conversations and letting people make decisions for themselves and letting them know it's okay, it's a big deal. Yeah, I think to use that example, 130 grams versus 115, I think, yeah, people tend to get really caught up in what's the, what are the optimal numbers, but that delta, 15 grams, or in the other cases, maybe 20, 30, 50 grams of protein, that doesn't, you get diminishing returns for each incremental protein gram that you're adding in your diet, even if that's heading up to this quote unquote optimal target. So yeah, you can, you can eat just to keep numbers simple, 60% of the optimal target and still get like 90 plus percent of the results right? from a nutritional perspective. Right. And it's just so not worth fussing about. Yeah. And I think it, people are well-intentioned. They don't know. I think everybody at the end of the day wants to be excellent. And so they see hitting 115 grams instead of 130 as a failure. This goes back to this black and white thinking. It's not a failure. It's just a nuanced decision that you made after you interacted with information, which is basically how do you want to live your life? You know? So I think again, people just need to have a nuanced voice in their ear. Yeah. That actually, I just kind of had a realization that's getting to a point of long-term, like true long-term sustainability, which from a nutritional perspective, I would define as some kind of intuitive eating approach. Kind of the only way you get there is by breaking free of that all or nothing mindset and also not hyper-focusing on hey, did I get 130 grams of protein or did I fall short and get 127 today? So kind of being able to break free of those things is actually really critical to building the long-term sustainable lifestyle. And yeah, just more of a reason for prioritizing that in your journey. Right, and it's funny thinking about breaking down the numbers too. 
say for example, you're a client, you get three specific macronutrient targets and you're just really beating yourself up because you had 67 grams of fat instead of 55. If you only knew that your coach had just kind of roughly just decided to give you just a higher carbohydrate diet in general and didn't really super care about the specificity of hitting six, or 55 grams in this case, people just need to know. And so there's a big element of being a student of the game. If you're an athlete in the program, it's like, ask the questions, you know, if you're getting stressed out about eating, if you want to eat 67 grams of fat a day because you like avocado in your, on your toast, then you should speak up and say so, because those things long-term are going to be fairly arbitrary many, many times. Um, and it's all about, I think we would both agree, sustainable lifestyle patterns that point in the direction of what we know is most healthy from the science we have available right now. Yeah. But there's still so much we don't know and we're always learning. Yeah, when we first, um, yeah, I've actually never talked about this on the podcast, but when we first started our coaching program, we were, all of the nutrition programs that we created, we were focusing on the three macronutrients, focusing on calorie targets with prioritizing the the micronutrient targets because you get there with the calories. But then this was a little over a year ago, our team had the realization that yeah, carbohydrates and dietary fat, they are both important macronutrients and an important part of a, 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 a decent nutrition program and something that you should be consuming both in, in quantities that are sufficient to your body composition needs and your goals. But they actually, as you point out, they don't, they can fluctuate. Like it doesn't need to be any particular number. And even giving a range is not is not really necessary because we found that over time, once you're averaging your nutrition targets on a, a weekly basis, you generally fall into the, the, a, a normal healthy category just by eating foods that you enjoy foods that align with your goals. So let's actually just not even have that be a focus and let's just, uh, put, put any kind of nutrition attention from a numbers perspective on the most important basic elements, which would be kind of an energy intake range. So what kind of calories are you consuming? And then a, a protein range. So what kind of protein targets are you hitting? And emphasis on ranges. This isn't an exact like decimal point kind of number that you need to be hitting. It's uh, It's something that's yeah, you can just be a lot more, um, a lot more open with it. And this is something that I've kind of been implementing and learning more in my life as well. I used to be hyper-focused on hitting a certain protein intake, and then I started getting a little less strict and now I don't track it at all. I just generally think, okay, I actually, I want this for, for lunch, but this is, pretty low in protein. I know that this doesn't really have that much protein. So I'll probably have a shake uh, for my next snack or something, a protein shake. And I just kind of intuitively eat that way. And I think my protein range is, is, uh, probably plus or minus 20 grams a day. And yeah, I just, and it's not even as high as it, it used to be. So I, yeah, I think there's, I think these are all important numbers, but it's not something that you need to just be hyper 
fixate on. Right. And would you say that your physique or your fitness has has suffered immensely? No, since not at all. Adopting the, this mindful <laughs> approach. No, not at all. Which right. is the which is a really cool part because I have been proving it to myself that not only not only was I starting to feel like maybe this isn't it's not super critical to be hyper focused on this, but once I started implementing that in my own life and seeing, yeah, actually it doesn't really seem to make any difference. Okay. Obviously. And like a sample size of one and that's, that's anecdotal, but I've heard this from numerous, uh, people's journeys. So yeah, I think just, uh, just giving yourself some more grace and flexibility when it comes to your nutrition and training and just, as you touched on numerous times through through this podcast, focusing more on the enjoyment side of things and the the sustainability part of it. Like, do you are you enjoying this process? Are you enjoying the foods that you're eating? Are you enjoying the way that you're moving your body? Because if not, it's by definition not sustainable. Yeah. And can I introduce a new term to the conversation? Please do. So a really important word that I think everyone should have in their fitness vocabulary is trends. Because I wish for every single one of my clients that I ever interact with that at the end of our time together, that they would be able to say that the grand trend of their life is that they prioritize their fitness. They do some kind of resistance training. They do some kind of cardio if that fits their goal. They have some kind of recreational fun. They generally eat a calorically appropriate diet. They generally eat enough protein to support their goals. And when it comes to carbohydrates and fats, they let things ebb and flow based on the current of their life. And that is so hilariously not specific that any perfectionist would probably have a heart attack thinking about that. But if you think about other areas of fitness that we don't, we don't lean into that extreme level of specificity, no coach on this team gets excited about any one single weigh-in that a weight loss client might have. What are we all looking for? Trends. We want to see that you're moving in the right direction because we know that it's multifactorial and tons of things could influence your body weight on any given day. So if you wake up six pounds heavier because you went out to a Mexican restaurant and had too many salty tamales, so be it. You didn't gain six pounds of body fat. So it just rings true in so many areas that you want to be getting most things right most of the time and you're going to be good to go long-term. Yeah, love that. All right, we've covered a lot of really valuable uh, tips and kind of knowledge on this episode. I really appreciate you sharing all of this with with our audience. Do you have anything else that you want to, any last thoughts? I don't think so. I just appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you and hopefully this helps somebody. Awesome. All right, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. To get access to some of our best content for free, head over to theveganjim.com. We've got tons of articles and guides to help you burn stubborn body fat, building muscle, and supercharge your health. You can even use our vegan nutrition calculator for free to figure out how much protein, calories, and micronutrients your body needs. Get started right now at theveganjim.com.